Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. On the Mehdi Hassan Show. Trump versus DeSantis, fascism v. fascism. Is this what the grand old party has been reduced to for 2024? Really? Plus, Congressman Jamal Bowman, one of the lone defenders of TikTok, will be with me to argue against Congress trying to ban it. And filmmaker and activist Michael Moore will also join me on the show tonight, 20 years on from his famous anti-Iraq war Oscars speech. Good evening, I'm Mehdi Hassan. As we read the tea leaves ahead of the next election, the 2024 presidential election, the week we've just endured has proved to be most clarifying. Because while the Democratic presidential nominee is almost certainly going to be Joe Biden, there's not an internal party rival for him in sight, the next Republican presidential candidate now appears to almost certainly be one of two men, one of two residents of the great state of Florida. Donald John Trump, resident of the golf club slash wedding venue of Mar-a-Lago, and Ronald Dion DeSantis, resident of the governor's mansion in Tallahassee. That's really it, as of right now. That's the GOP choice. Forget about future also-rans Nikki Haley and Mike Pence. It's former President Trump versus current Governor DeSantis. And this past week has served as a stark reminder of how bad that rock-and-a-hard-place choice is For the rest of us, for the rest of the country, for all of us non-Florida, non-Republican, non-cuckoo-for-cocoa-pops folks, i.e. the majority of Americans. Recall, seven days ago, Trump was having a fit online, pushing false and hysterical claims that he was facing an imminent indictment and arrest on Tuesday. Spoiler alert, none of that materialized on Tuesday or any day of this past week. But that ostensibly mattered little to the former president as he doubled and tripled down on attacking Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, calling him human scum, an animal and threatening, quote, death and destruction. He kept up the onslaught even after an envelope containing mysterious white powder and a death threat was mailed to Bragg. A shocking but hardly surprising series of developments, given what Donald Trump's own niece told me on this show last week about his ability to rhetorically stoke up random acts of terror. Donald continues to engage in this kind of stochastic terrorism that, as yes. we've seen in the not too distant past, really has devastating consequences. So unfortunately, this is the kind of thing where violence could break out anywhere in the country, and it's very difficult to prepare for them. All of this week's chaos then culminated in Trump's first official campaign event of 2023, where he railed against law enforcement and shamelessly lionized the cause of January the 6th insurrectionists. An especially, shall we say, curious move, given the rally was held in Waco, Texas, on the 30th anniversary of an armed standoff between the anti-government branch Davidian cult and the FBI. You could say a lot of things about the former president, but you can never accuse him of being subtle. No, he's truly taken the bombast up to a whole different and dangerous level these past few days, past few weeks, past few months. Consider this reminder from the New York Times this weekend. And I quote, 
He dined at home with a white supremacist in November. He called for the termination of the Constitution in December. He declared himself more angry than ever in January. He vowed to make retribution a hallmark of a second term in the White House in March. He has embraced a QAnon conspiracy theory movement, described President Vladimir Putin of Russia as a genius, and used a gay joke to mock a fellow Republican. He has become the target of four criminal investigations, including one in New York that he warned might result in potential death and destruction. Still, Mr. Trump remains a strong frontrunner for the Republican Party's 2024 presidential nomination. Yes. Despite all of that, he's still leading the grand old party pack. It boggles the mind. Or it would if his opponents, Ron DeSantis, actually fought back after being slugged with rhetorical haymakers like this. When a man comes to me, tears in his eyes, he's at almost nothing in the polls. And he's fighting somebody that's at 42 and he's got almost $30 million in the bank. He said, almost nothing. He's got no cash. And I said, I can't give you an endorsement. I said, you can't win, can you? How do you can win? Sir, if you endorse me, I'll win. Please. Please, sir, endorse me. Look, I know you're tempted to revel in this cat fight. Lord knows I enjoy a visual image of a sobbing DeSantis as much as the next man. But ultimately, this is serious stuff. It's one Florida fascist or another. I mean that. Don't for a second think the governor of Florida is any less extreme, any less dangerous, any less authoritarian than Donald Trump. This week, when pressed to differentiate himself from the former president, the best DeSantis could offer, the most major point of distinction he could bring up was that he would have fired Anthony Fauci during the peak of the COVID pandemic. Recall, this comes after previous violent threats against the nation's former top doctor from the Florida governor, saying he wanted to, quote, grab the little elf and chuck him across the Potomac. Charming. Unless you think Fauci was the only target of DeSantis' ire this week. No, no, no. He once again sicked the power of the state against the queer community, moving to expand his ban on classroom discussions of LGBTQ people and topics through to the 12th grade. So much for that. Protect the elementary school kids, canard. Harvey Milk, James Baldwin, the Stonewall Uprising. All will now be too obscene, it seems, for a high school classroom. What's more, he touted new legislation that makes it easier to sue reporters and gushed over the fact that the very standard journalistic act of using anonymous sources could be effectively outlawed. Richard Nixon would have dreamed of this during Watergate. But look, DeSantis will take on everyone, the doctors, the media, the gays, but he won't take on the former president. It's no wonder that even conservative pundits like Matt Lewis are saying he's not ready for prime time. He's looking uncomfortable in his own skin. And it's no wonder that at a recent gathering of GOP bigwigs, some of his top allies and top donors reportedly suggested he sit out of GOP presidential races until at least 2028. His own people, his own buddies, they see him as a potential loser too. The calls are coming from inside the house. Look, it's good for democracy that these two men, these two Florida fascists, in my view, have had such a bad week. But it's bad that they remain the two Republican frontrunners. When I look at Trump v. DeSantis, I'm reminded of Lindsey Graham's infamous 2016 jibe at the Trump-Ted Cruz standoff. Choosing between those two, he said at the time, was like choosing between being shot or poisoned. Joining me now is Olivia Troy, former Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor. 
advisor, excuse me, to Vice President Mike Pence, now a Trump critic, uh, Ellie Mistal, justice correspondent for The Nation, and Wajahat Ali, author of Go Back to Where You Came From. Thank you, all three of you, for joining me this Sunday evening. Olivia, let me start with you. Last week, Mary Trump on this show talked about stochastic terrorism, about her uncle using rhetoric, inspiring people to commit acts of violence, but not in a direct or approvable way. Do you think that's what happened with the threat to Alvin Bragg on Friday, a predicted and predictable consequence of your former boss's dangerous and racist rhetoric against Bragg? Hi. Yes, absolutely. This is exactly what Trump does. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's very calculated when he does it. And I think Mary Trump is 100% correct in saying that. Well, people have been worried. You know, they're saying, oh, they're watching New York City and things like that. Yeah, I have concerns on what might happen uh, perhaps in New York City. I'm actually more concerned, greater concerned about one-off that across the country and things like this, the threats yes. to people who are just doing their jobs, because that is what we've seen. We have saw it with the Georgia election workers. We've seen it on threats to doctors when people have attacked people like Dr. Fauci. It has, it has consequences, right? It's not just attacking that one person. The repercussions actually permeate to other doctors, to other public servants, to other people that are in this type of work. And that's why these things are so dangerous when he does that. He knows exactly what it means, what it does. And look, the people listening take that. They take that as a call to action. Yeah. He knows what he's doing, indeed. Ellie, we spent all of last week on indictment watch after Trump falsely claimed he was going to get arrested on Tuesday. What do you make of D.A. Bragg's case against Trump on the Stormy Daniels hush money? Uh, um, is it a strong case? Do you think he will be indicted at some point soon? Look, Bragg's case, from what we understand now, is very strong if it was brought in 2021, right? Like, that's, that's the problem. Because look, folks, everybody knows Trump did it, right? This is not a, me a measure of controversy, right? We know he paid her the hush money. We know he lied about it. We know Michael Cohen has evidence about how he hid that money from the, from the federalities in terms of his taxes and his campaign finance laws. So we all know he did it. The question is, why hasn't he been charged for it already? Why wasn't he charged, not by the Manhattan DA, but by SDNY, by the Southern District of New York, by the federal prosecutors in New York in 2021? I get Bill Barr wouldn't let them do it in 2020. Fine. But what's Merrick Garland's excuse? What's Damian Williams' excuse, who's currently the USAO of SDNY? Why wasn't this case brought in 2021 when it was more timely? Now, two years later, there are statute of limitations concerns. Yeah. There are other technicalities that could help Trump wriggle off this hook again. So again, the, the, the foundation of the case is strong. We all know we did it, yeah. but there, there are technicalities here that weaken the argument in, in terms of this particular issue bringing Trump to he justice. He also announced his candidacy for president. So now he's screaming like he did today. Election interference. Anytime you say anything about Trump, apparently it's election interference. Wajan, every time you think Trump can't sink any lower, be any more shocking, he goes and does something to prove us wrong. Yesterday, he held a rally in Waco, Texas, of all places, on the 30th anniversary of the siege and violence there. And then he stood with his hand on his heart for a song that Trump recorded with the J6 prison choir, with inmates who were charged with storming the Capitol on 1-6. That is astonishing, even by Trumpian standards, is it not? No, I don't know why anyone's surprised. Adam Server said the cruelty is the point. I will say the violence is the point. Trump is beholden to no one but himself. Trump believes in the United States of Trump. He's a fascist. And as such, we should not be surprised that he held a rally at Waco where a bunch of violent 
criminals decided to do a standoff with the government. They died, by the way. And he called for death and destruction, right? He said he warned about death and destruction if he was to be indicted. He still isn't, hasn't been indicted. And furthermore, he has embraced Mehdi. We forget because there's been so much. He's embraced the QAnon theory openly in the last few months. Yeah. That has radicalized individuals to commit violence. He has said that he will suspend the Constitution. This is a person who has unleashed his radicalized mob to commit violence against any and all perceived threats. That includes law enforcement, whom he calls the deep state, poll workers, as Olivia said, educators, Democratic officials, and also Mike Pence. And for those who are watching right now and say, oh, you know what? Ellie's black, Wajahat's Muslim. These people always whine and complain. Mike Pence is the whitest, most Christian man on earth. If Mike Pence was targeted by Trump and his MAGA cult. What makes you think yeah. you'll be safe if these people ever come into power again? So, so on that note about kind of double standards and racial minorities, Ellie, I hate to play the imagine if game, but can you imagine if Barack Obama had held a rally in which he embraced a bunch of black convicted criminals? What would the GOP and Fox have done, Ellie? And why, by the way, have Democrats allowed the GOP to still pontificate as the law and order party while their leader openly glorifies and encourages domestic terrorism against law enforcement? Oh, yeah. Obama would be banished to Mars if he had done anything like this. But the but the media continues to placate these people. And that's where you get into where you started with this Trump versus DeSantis standoff thing right now. Look, I don't like to pontificate on the GOP primary. You know, I don't know which version they want their destroyer to come in, whether it's an unreconstructed troglodyte or an orange marshmallow man. I don't know. That's for them to decide. But what's for the rest of us should be concerned about is how the media keeps normalizing and placating both of these fascists. Trump, and you saw there was a media piece this week. Oh, now he's being more reasonable. He ain't. He ain't. Waco just proved that, right? With DeSantis, we have the establishment Republicans like openly pining for him. The media normalizes the crazy people. And that is one of the reasons that we're in this mess. The media has never faced accountability yeah. for how they created Trump in the first place. And they're in the process of doing it again. I both agree with you and disagree with you. Too many people in the media are doing that, but not us. Uh, Olivia, how depressing is it for you uh, as a conservative, uh, a quote unquote recovering Republican, that the Republican Party's only real alternative to the fascism of Donald Trump is the fascism of Ron DeSantis, the book banning, vote suppressing, gay smearing, media bashing, Putin appeasing Republican governor of Florida? It's absolutely horrifying. Look, I mean, it's so depressing uh, to watch this play out. It's the extremists are the center of the Republican Party, unfortunately. And look, I, sometimes I feel like I'm on my own island here because there's plenty of my former Republican colleagues and, and friends who are all rallying behind DeSantis because they're like, hey, he's not Trump. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> let me let me. Yeah, he's not exactly no. like Trump, but he does every policy and he parrots everything that Trump says, basically. I mean, we, we just watched him flip-flop on Ukraine, right? That is one thing that yeah. for establishment conservatives, Republicans, we would never side with Russia, right? We would never be pro-Putin. And yet this guy can't figure out which side he's on. And now he's walked it back because now he's like, oh, shoot, I might lose some, some of those more conservative so, donors that are trying to court me, right? I mean, that's what it's about. So on that note, Watch, 30 seconds left. Last word to you. Is Ron DeSantis ready for primetime? Does he have what it takes to beat Donald Trump? 
Ron DeSantis is a wet noodle cosplaying as an alpha MAGA man. He does not have what it takes. He's a JV fascist who's on the bench of the JV team. I said it on your show a year ago. I'm going to say it again. He has no chance. I don't think he's got a chance against Trump. I wouldn't say no chance because you could never explain the Republican Party, but you make a good point. Uh, Ellie Mistal, Wajat Ali, Olivia Troy, thank you all. Appreciate it. Coming up, one of the only members of Congress to defend TikTok this week, Democratic Congressman Jamal Bowman. He joins me after the break to discuss why he wants to keep the app on our phones, why he doesn't think it's as bad as everyone says. Stay tuned for that discussion. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code WELCOME to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code WELCOME at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code WELCOME. It's telling that in these divided, polarized, partisan times, the one thing that can unite Republicans and Democrats in Congress is not saving democracy, but, wait for it, TikTok. On Thursday, TikTok CEO Shozi Chu testified before the House Energy and Commerce Committee on potential security issues with the app. Here's how that went. Welcome to the most bipartisan committee in Congress. Has... ByteDance spied on American citizens. I don't think that spying is the right way to describe it. Congressman, I have seen no evidence that the Chinese government has access to that data. They have never asked us. We have not provided. Well, you know what? I've I, asked find that that, I find that actually preposterous. The American data has always been stored in Virginia and Singapore in the past. And access of this is on an as-required basis as by engineers globally. Who? By engineers for business purposes. By engineers? ByteDance? ByteDance, uh, the Communist TikTok. Party? No, no. Does TikTok access the home Wi-Fi network? It will have to, to access the network to get connections to the internet, if that's the question. From the looks of that, you'd think TikTok has no friends at all in D.C., but that's not including Democratic Congressman Jamal Bowman of New York. Squad member Bowman is one of the few advocates against Congress pushing to ban TikTok, calling the planned and bipartisan move, quote, another red scare. And Congressman Jamal Bowman joins me now. Congressman, welcome back to the show. You have said that the targeting of TikTok by the U.S. government is a result of xenophobic anti-China rhetoric and hysteria. It's a new red scare. And I don't disagree with you that that's what's driving a lot of this, especially on the Republican side. But both things can be true, can they not? That the opposition to TikTok is driven in part by racism, but that also there are legitimate security fears about surveillance by the Chinese government that TikTok hasn't resolved. Why can't both things be true? 
both things can be true. But my contention is this. What about Facebook? What about YouTube? What about Twitter? What about Instagram? We have to look at the entire safety and security and privacy apparatus of all social media when we talk about federal legislation. The European Union has national federal legislation to ensure the safety and security of its citizens. We don't have anything like that here. So what I was trying to do is broaden the conversation. When I read that Facebook knew Russia was interfering with our 2016 election, in real time and did nothing that blew me away to a level where i'm like wait a minute we're not going to talk about banning facebook or forcing it to sell or forcing it to end its monopoly but we're going to ban TikTok. yeah it's just absurd for us to have one conversation and not the other i guess people would say as odious as people might find Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk, they're not the Chinese government. Um, you don't want to ban TikTok, you said this week, because it could harm Democrats politically in 2024. A lot of TikTok users tend to be younger voters, Democrats. Your critics will say, Congressman, that's a very self-serving and partisan argument. That's why you're pro-TikTok, not because you think it's fine or safe or doesn't have any major problems. What do you say to them? Well, I wouldn't even describe myself as pro TikTok. Again, it's about having a full conversation, not scapegoating TikTok, because if you ban TikTok tomorrow, there are still data brokers who are buying and selling and trading our data on the open market in China and other countries and when it comes to the yeah. private sector. So that is happening right now as we speak. If we ban TikTok tomorrow, our data is still everywhere and we have no idea yes. where it is. But to the point of your question, yes, 150 million Americans use TikTok, most of them young people. I have 10 year olds in my district who follow my TikTok uh, and love to follow it because that's how they learn about how things work in Congress. So it's a powerful tool, not just for Democrats, but for our overall democracy. And many Republicans and Democrats struggle with, first of all, understanding how social media works. I don't fully understand it and I use it all the time. But then secondly, struggle to connect with younger voters. But also, and I think that's the bigger part of this conversation is we struggle to have honest, transparent, nuanced conversations and scapegoat Yes. China or the border or the Middle East or some enemies yes. is always easier for us to digest. It's always a, a little embarrassing to see what some of your colleagues in Congress ask tech people. At do here. you connect to uh, the Wi-Fi? You're a teacher. Like, what the, do you connect <laughs> to the, the Wi-Fi? The, the Wi-Fi wi cracked me up. Um, all right. We, I wanted to, I'd love to talk more about TikTok, but I also want to talk about this new bill you have out. You're a former teacher. It's called the More Teaching, Less Testing Act. What do you say to concerned parents watching at home tonight who say less testing? That's just going to put our kids at an even bigger disadvantage against countries like China. We have been overusing and misusing testing for over 20 years. We were trying to close an achievement gap. That hasn't worked. We've been trying to get to 100% literacy. That hasn't worked. And oh, by the way, our tests cre are created by third-party for-profit companies that sell them to states, that give them to kids, really targeting teachers and closing public schools in favor of charter schools. So that's what the industry is. When we focus on teaching, 
and the magic that happens between teacher and student in our classrooms, we're able to give uh, parents better information in real time and really work with them as partners in their child's education. And because of this testing regime, we have sanctioned very important developmental uh, disciplines out of our schools. Music has been gone by and large. The arts, sports, yeah. recess, play, gym, and the interdisciplinary 21st century curriculum that we need to solve 21st century problems like climate change. There's no yeah. conversation on any of this because everything is about test and punish as opposed to a full robust okay. curriculum. One last quick question on another topic. I've got to ask you before we run out of time. Historic huge protests in Israel against the new far-right authoritarian government there. We'll be discussing that later on the show. But I want to ask you, you've been a critic of Israel's occupation. Do you believe, like Senator Bernie Sanders does, that it's time to start talking about conditioning U.S. aid to Israel, given the nature of that government, what it's doing to its judiciary, to the Palestinians? It's absolutely start time to start having that conversation because we haven't really been having honest conversations about the occupation, how long it has been, settlement expansion, the impact of that and the impact on Palestinians even before Netanyahu. But now that he's come in, he's doubling down on the, on the harshest policies that were in place prior to him coming back. So we have to have a robust full conversation about what's happening there as Israel remains an ally of the U.S. But aid's on the table. U.S. aid should be on the table. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Congressman Jamal Bowman, always appreciate our conversations. Thank you for coming on the show tonight. Thank you so much. Coming up next, an update on the Mississippi communities devastated by a series of tornadoes. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code WELCOME to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code WELCOME at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com last week on this show we spoke to journalist peter beinart about the 20th anniversary of the u.s invasion of iraq and how beinart once a liberal hawk on iraq has since regretted his support for that war and apologized for it but see most people in the american news media in american politics were hawks back then very few of them have apologized since to be honest uh, it was a very lonely time to be openly and loudly anti-war in march 2003 in fact tonight is the anniversary of the 2003 oscars academy awards when filmmaker michael moore was booed by a supposedly liberal hollywood crowd for speaking out against george w bush's war take a look we live in a time where we have a man sending us to war for fictitious reasons, whether it's the fiction of duct tape 
or the fictitious of orange alerts. We are against this war, Mr. Bush. Shame on you, Mr. Bush. Shame on you. He was right. The crowd was wrong. And Michael Moore, filmmaker, activist and host of the Rumble with Michael Moore podcast, joins me now. Welcome back to the show, Michael. What was your memory of that night? What was it like <laughs> going up there? Did you expect to get booed? No. <laughs> I, uh, in fact, in the commercial break, just before the award was announced, I asked my fellow nominees, the other documentary nominees, uh, if they if they wanted to, they, I was welcoming them onto the stage if I won uh, 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 to join with me in solidarity against the war. And they all said, yes, absolutely. And they did. They came up there with me and it was a big standing ovation and everything was fine. And then I I I just thought I'd talk about how we make nonfiction because we think nonfiction in this time uh, is um very important and still is. And, uh, and then I started talking about the fiction of, of the lies that led us into Iraq, that we were not going to find any weapons of mass destruction. This was all a big lie. But it's only the fifth night of the war when I'm saying this. So what do I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a yeah. weapons inspector, but just using my common sense, um, you know, if you grew up during Vietnam, you know that the government, will lie to us about taking us to war uh, any chance they can because it's big, big billions of bucks for the, uh, as Eisenhower called it, the military-industrial complex. So, um, no, I, I was, but I was smiling when uh, when you put the camera on me here at the end of that, mainly because I was looking at Harrison Ford in the front row, and he had this huge grin on his face. And, and, and you know, he's, he's a well-known, um, how shall we call it, uh, you know, um, he's, he's the, he appreciates uh, a certain substance and, uh, and so happy. Um, but uh, I think the rest of them pretty, pretty upset that we were in this war and thousands of American lives were going to be lost and hundreds of thousands of Iraqi lives were already being lost because this was the fifth night. So we've been bombing Iraq for some time. So. At the time, Michael, you were in the minority as someone who opposed the Iraq war, but the people who supported and orchestrated the war largely are doing just fine. 20 years later, what do you make of seeing all those people who lied to us failing up? I mean, you have George W. Bush rehabilitated, swapping cough drops with Michelle Obama now. Right. Uh, 29 Democratic U.S. senators, the majority of Democrats in the Senate, voted to to give Bush permission uh, to start this war. Um, and, uh, a few have uh, made their amends, I guess, but not most of them. And so it's very, uh, you know, it's, I remember it wasn't just them though. It was, it was, uh, I remember Nick Kristoff in the times in his column going after me and he had some awful pro Bush, uh, piece that he did this past week in the times, David Remnick, the editor of the New Yorker, the liberal New Yorker. Uh, wrote an editorial in the magazine before the war supporting us going uh, into Iraq. I mean, it was, to answer your question, it was pretty, pretty awful. It was pretty hard. And, you know, MSNBC at that time was being run by different people in a different way, uh, owned by a company that was also a weapons manufacturer. Not today. But um, 
they uh, built Phil Donahue had a, a nightly show. And that was the end of him when he came out against uh, uh, the war. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lonely. A, it was a lonely time for Dubs, <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Um, yes. Michael, let's just remind ourselves, you were at the 2003 Oscars for your film Bowling for Columbine about gun violence in this country. Two decades later, is the gun violence situation even worse now, in your view? And what could President Biden be doing right now on gun reform that he isn't given, you know, deadlock in Congress, et cetera, et cetera? Well, of course, it's worse. I mean, we made we started making Bowling for Columbine an hour after the shooting came, you know, the, the bulletin on the day on, uh, in April of uh, 99. And we all sat down, my crew and I, and just said, we've got to do something about this now because this will not be the end of um, uh, these, this would just happen at Columbine. Remember, there had not been a school shooting of that size, of that many deaths, of that magnitude uh, before. Uh, and, and I, and I yeah. just said to the staff, I said, I think we're, this is going to become a thing. Let's not make it a thing. Let's make a movie right away. Let's get that out there and let's, let's stop this. But uh, so is it better? Obviously, you know the answer to that because you cover it every single day. On, on this news network, uh, this mass shooting, that mass shooting. And, um, yeah. no, so, so on that level, Maddie, it, it, uh, um, it's the film on some level to me feels like a failure because we weren't able not only to not stop it, but it's only gotten worse. Now, here's a couple of good things that have gotten better. Um, uh, only about 29, 30% of Americans own a gun. 70% of us are not gun owners. So in a nation of what we call gun nuts, the vast majority of us don't own a gun. And depending on what poll you look at, upwards to 70, 80, 90 percent in some polls on some issues of gun control, the American people, Republicans and Democrats, support more gun control. Yeah. So that that has been a good a good change. And, uh, you know, President yes. Biden, I know he cares uh, uh, deeply about this, but, you know, the. Um, We've got to do more, and we don't have the time here to discuss this tonight. Gun control alone will not change things. They have guns in other countries. There are more Canadian hunters with guns than hockey players, and yet they don't kill each other on the level we do. They're, the kids in Germany and France and England, their kids watch violent movies, play violent video games. Yeah. They don't kill each other. There is something unique about the American character where we, we desire violence, and the way that we use it and the way that we, you know, but again, the scary part yeah. is that three, three 3% of this population of this country, according to the Washington Post, owns uh, more than half of all the guns. So yeah. it's a problem. It's, it's, such a, um, it's such a good point you make that this is not the nation of gun nuts that the right want us to believe it is. And we need to challenge some of those myths, as you've been doing for 20 years. Yeah. Michael Moore, sadly, we will have to leave it there. I wish we had more okay. time, but thank you for coming on the show tonight. Thank you for having me and having Coming up Ramadan. next. Thank you so much, Michael. Appreciate it. Coming up next, why hundreds of thousands of Israelis are marching in the streets against their government and what America should be doing about it. Don't go away. Once again this week, protests have erupted all across Israel. Just take a look at these wild images from a few hours ago. Protesters blocking highways, lighting fires in the streets of Tel Aviv. And in Jerusalem, police are using water cannon against protesters demonstrating outside Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's residence. 
Last night, there were an estimated 300,000 people who attended the main rally in Tel Aviv. That's about 3% of that nation's population protesting against their government. In America, that would be the equivalent to nearly 10 million people taking to the streets here. It's a lot of people. Israelis right now are fighting back against the new Netanyahu government's attempts to overhaul the nation's judiciary and give the far right in power significantly more control over it. These proposed changes from a prime minister who is himself on trial for corruption have created the kind of anger and outrage among ordinary Israelis that, I should point out, Netanyahu's repression of the Palestinians never really has. And the prime minister is only adding fuel to that fire, though. Earlier today, he fired his own defense minister. Less than 24 hours after that minister urged a halt to these controversial judicial reforms. This comes a week after the former director of Israel's Shin Bet Domestic Security Service warned that the country could be on the, quote, threshold of dictatorship. Joining me now is the prominent Israeli human rights lawyer, Michael Safad, who is on a visit to the United States. Michael, thanks for coming on the show. You're a human rights lawyer. You know better than me that the Israeli government has had human rights issues for a while now. So why is it this move by Netanyahu and this government to bring an independent judiciary under political control? Why has it been so contentious, so provocative, so explosive? Why are hundreds of thousands of your fellow Israelis on the streets week after week? Well, good evening, Mehdi, and thank you very much for having me. I think um, it is remarkable that so many Israelis are going out to the streets, but one has to say, as you pointed out, they are fighting for their own rights. We are fighting for our own rights. The new Netanyahu government uh, in the last three months since coming into power initiated and is pursuing intensively um, something that cannot be called but a regime change, a constitutional revolution which will completely annihilate any checks and balances and concentrate powers with the government, creating a de facto one arm of government system of governance. And that is something that many Israelis are fearing. They are afraid of the ultra-nationalists, ultra-conservatives that will change very basic tenets of, uh, of, of what we are accustomed as Israelis, yeah. liberties that we have. And yes, unfortunately, as you pointed out, this is something that we are um, that we are exercising 15, 20 minutes away from Tel Aviv uh, over millions of people for, you know, for generations. They do not have separation of powers. They do not elect and they do not. They are not represented in government. They are not involved in any process that govern their lives. And I just I can hope. Uh, that uh, what's going on now, which is a, a defining moment for the Israeli society, um, in which you know a collective uh, 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 civics lesson is being uh, uh, taught and learned by the public, that these democratic yeah. ideals and values would also open up Israelis' hearts to what's going on very close to their homes. You are visiting the U.S. right now, Michael. What can the U.S. government, what can Congress do to rein in what the Israeli government is doing on the judicial front? The Biden administration would say it's already intervened behind the scenes. It's softened uh, some of these, quote unquote, reforms that Netanyahu, who is on trial for corruption himself, has been trying to pass. Well, you know, I, I am a visitor and a visitor shouldn't be impolite, but it has to be said that um, the gasoline that created the fire eventually is the fact that some part of Netanyahu's government are in this process of um, 
redefining the Israeli regime because they want more flexibility in their plans for perpetuating our domination, our occupation, our apartheid system in the West Bank. And the international community has a stake in it and has an obligation to stop Israel from doing that. Unfortunately, the international community has been for decades an enabler of this situation. And even if the Israeli public will be able to confront something very fundamental in, in the split personality that we have since the inception of the State of Israel, where we have real, genuine, liberal uh, uh, values that are uh, the basic of our uh, coming together, but also some nationalistic, very uh, uh, ultra-conservative, and to some extent, Jewish yeah. supremacy ideals, all living in the same, you know, uh, uh, so to speak, uh, uh, collective uh, psyche. Um, even if we can deal with that when it comes to the system of government that, that governs us, we still will have to someday, and, 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 and it has to be now, yes. uh, to deal with the core and defining feature of our uh, uh, um, system of governance, and that is the abomination of the, of the uh, occupation, of the never-ending occupation. Well said. Uh, fascinating stuff. Michael Savat, appreciate you coming on the show uh, in this historic moment for your country. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. In between all his many legal troubles, Donald Trump managed to put out a video recently for farmers on inheritance tax. But it could have been for Don Jr. and Eric. Take a watch. Nobody's going to win with the farmers, but Donald J. Trump, I got him $28 billion. I saved ethanol and I made farmers happy and rich again. And they're doing a fantastic job. And you know what? Someday it'll become time for them to leave this beautiful earth and they'll be able to leave their farm without taxes to their children. I got rid of the death tax on farms so that when you do pass away, on the assumption that you love your children, you can leave it to them and they won't have to pay tax. But if you don't love your children so much, and there are some people that don't, and maybe deservedly so, it won't matter because, frankly, you don't have to leave them anything. Thank you very much. Have fun. Oh, I've watched that clip many times, but uh, I just don't know what else to do but laugh. Thank you for watching. Uh, we will be right back here next Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can now find this show on the MSNBC Hub on Peacock. New episodes of the Mehdi Hassan Show post during the week on Peacock. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.